News. 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 New York City. The FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel in Brooklyn here with Professor Christina Greer elsewhere in Brooklyn. Hello. Hello, Harry Siegel. Hey. And producer Alex Brooklyn, uh, suspiciously enough, in Manhattan. Hello. Hello. So there's a ton happening this week, as always. We're going to zoom right past the thing where Bill de Blasio shut down all the Trump concessions bravely because he's that that dude. Um, since then, he unshut down all the Trump concessions <laughs> after realizing there was such a thing as contracts. And after a bunch of dudes with Trump flags went waving around the ice with their flags One out dude. and so on. One a dude. A dude. A dude. A dude. <laughs> yes. Um, we have some reopening stuff. Middle schools are reopening, um, which is rough because middle school is the worst. Uh, I think we can all agree. Um, oh, my God. Knicks... I love middle school. Get the fuck out of here. Why? Because you're always who you really are in middle school. Like, who you really are is who you were in middle school. Yeah. And I still rock with people from middle school. Like, the real ones, right? And, like, listen. Yes, my face was like a Picasso where, like, my nose and my lips and my forehead did not match and I had, like, a lovely case of, like, you know, hormonal acne. And it was just a whole bunch. But I just, I felt like I read a lot and I understood the world. And I was, like, breaking away from my parents' ideas and developing my own. I And I taught middle school students for four summers in a row through college. I love that age group. Wow. I, I, hope, I hope my daughters have a better time in middle school than I did. I was miserable. And I was miserable to be around. And, and uh, well, I'll just not good years. Them. I'll just take them oh. off your hands for like the middle school years and then just drop them back off for high school years. So, Even though I think I was kind of a jerk, though. If my memory serves me correct, I'll have to ask my mom, but I do think I may have been kind of a. <laughs> Knicks and Nets have fans again. It's a gift from uh, the gods, or rather, Andrew Cuomo, who we'll come right back to. Movie theaters are going to be able to reopen both of these, of course, with, you know, very limited uh, attendance and lots of space between seats. No word yet from the film form if it's going to, in fact, reopen. Um, and then Cuomo news. And in just a minute, we're going to have uh, we're going to have the extremely salty uh, Ray McGuire on. Uh, he's running for mayor and uh, he's here for a uh, lively interview. But prior to that, Andrew Cuomo. So. Look, it's been a hell of a week. Um, this really started right when we were recording last week uh, when uh, Ron Kim was making the rounds about Melissa DeRosa's confession, uh, as it were, about the nursing homes and keeping all that information from the legislature. Um, and that, that, that narrative has, has continued. The governor has really been on the defensive. Uh, the latest poll numbers show that his support, while still pretty high, with the 59% approval rating, has dropped significantly. The most New Yorkers disapprove of how he's handled the virus. And now we have former aide and, and then congressional candidate, uh, Lindsey Boylan, who came out a few months ago to say in general terms that she'd been really harassed and bothered by the governor while she was working for him, coming out with a detailed account of that harassment um, at medium.com that culminates in some sense with, with the governor while she's working for him, while she's married, and while she's no way looking for such things, uh, uh, kissing her after getting her alone in a room. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we had the Albany harassment working group in. 
uh, including, you know, Erica Vladimir, who had a very similar account of what happened to her with then Albany Power Jeff Klein. The Cuomo campaign has categorically denied her detailed, specific, and rather granular allegations. As we're recording this, at least, the governor does not really have any sort of uh, accounting for the, the nursing homes and his cover-up. And the pressure, even as he keeps insisting this is all about Trump, is really coming from a lot of aggressive Democrats on his left at this point. Hasn't a bunch of people come out around you know, the kind of Albany scene, whether it's journalists or other legislatures or people just adjacent to say that they, too, have been bullied by him, not sexually harassed. But after Ron Kim came out to push back against some of the tones he takes and some of the, you know, more, I guess, threatening ways in which he deals with people, there have been quite a few other people, including Morgan Peme, uh, who wrote a piece in the New York Post about how he got a call from DeRosa, you know, basically being like, I will destroy you um, or, you know, making those implications. So I don't think this has been a secret, um, but it, all the tea is uh, it's getting poured now. It's getting poured now. People are taking sips. And this has been uh, Cuomo's style for a long time. Uh, over at the New Republic, Alex Perrine uh, has a really smart piece out, like thinking about why it is that, that that all the stuff people have known this about Cuomo for forever, but he's been so popular. And his argument is that like book Cuomo or comic book Cuomo has an impossibly involved backstory and you have to be able to track and understand lots of things and how Jacob and the anti-corruption commission was really a commission for corruption where the governor appointed all the members and you have to know who Joe Prococo is and care and a million other things. And none of that translates to the big screen. So on the big screen up until now, Cuomo has been like the guy who swoops in, opens up his shirt, and there's the S, and he says, I'm not Donald Trump. I'm a real man, and I'm here to take care of you New Yorkers and Americans. And suddenly, with Kim showing up on The View and saying, this man is an abuser. This is a, this is a tremendous problem. People have died. My family members have died. TV Cuomo is getting hit hard for the first time. And I, I think that there is a... More going on than that, but I think there's a fair amount to that theory, and it's it's a it's a useful way of thinking about this and why he's been so bulletproof up until now, at least. Yeah. Well, and you know, Harry, I never like a pylon of just, you know, when one person's down, all of a sudden people start coming out of the woodwork. It's like, you know, where were you? However, I will say this about the governor. It is one of those open secrets, like Weinstein, you know, like Trump, where everyone knows that Quan was a bully or abusive. Um Albany is the way it is, largely because of Andrew Cuomo. I mean, he's been there since he was 19. So when we think about the culture in Albany of fear, of corruption, of bullying and abuse, it's largely because that's the town that Andrew Cuomo has made. So I think a lot of people, you know, when you talk to journalists, when you talk to legislators, everyone has an Andrew Cuomo story, sure. But it's always fascinating that, you know, this is Ron Kim's sort of Hannibal Burris moment. Right. Like everybody knew about Bill Cosby. Realistically, I knew about Bill Cosby since I was a child or at least heard those stories. So why is it that Hannibal Burris goes on you know, stage one night at a random club and it becomes a thing? And now Bill Cosby's sitting in a prison cell. This is so interesting about Ron Kim to me. It's like people have been talking openly, you know, sort of, you know, in hushed tones, but about the abuse of Andrew Cuomo, quote unquote, everyone knows it. And it's just a random, leg not a legislator who's, you know, running for the governorship yet. You know, not a legislator who's who's 
particularly well-known nationally or internationally or even throughout the state. So why the traction and why now? And I think that when you, when you are a bully, you always have to remember, and the Clintons learned this the hard way, people are always waiting for that one moment where there's an arrow that sort of shows that you are mortal. And if that's the case, then all of a sudden the Trojan horse opens and the, you know, everyone comes out with their arrows. It's like, I've been waiting, but it's a gamble because people like Andrew Cuomo, they have gone down before and they've gotten up. So if you are going to shoot your arrow at Andrew Cuomo, A, you better not miss. B, you better hope that other people are actually going to support you. Um, And this is the first time where it feels like there are enough folks who are just like, no, this is real. It's a thing. And I'm actually not going to be, you know, sort of bullied into backing down and being quiet. Now, time will tell. But like 2022 is around the corner. So he's got to put up or shut up. But we've never seen him apologize. And last point, I think the reason why this is so important at this moment is because people keep calling it the nursing homes scandal. And I keep telling journalists, I'm like, it's not nursing homes. These are people's grandparents. This is Nana and Pop Pop. This is Zadie and Bubba. This is grandma and grandpa. Like whatever you want to call them, you know, these are people's parents and grandparents. And it's like, and if you lied about this, are you lying about prison numbers? Are you lying about education numbers? What else have you been lying about as you've been taking this faux George Bush victory lap, talking about mission accomplished in August, September, and we don't even know if we're halfway through this damn thing? I mean, I think this is a long time coming. I think that this isn't like uh, something that just happened with nursing homes and everyone seized on it. But I think that this is a long time coming since like the ousting of the IDC and the big blue wave that flipped uh, New York, you know, succinctly to blue. You have the... The big three, you've got Jessica Ramos, Biagi, and Salazar all calling out things. They have bigger followings than just sort of like inside politics nerds. And they're calling things out like when Melissa De Rosa tweets about how they must be drunk if they think X, Y, and Z. And they call this out, right? And so I feel like this is quite a while in the in the making and that we've seen it sort of building and that something like the nursing homes was going to come out, whether it like the the bullying stands on the back of the grandmothers and grandfathers that people were like, wait a second. These are actually real people with human faces, as you said. One quick thing here. Um, one and a half worth noting. First off. Elliot Spitzer was the governor. And then David Patterson was the governor. And then uh, Andrew Cuomo was the governor and Eric Schneiderman was the AG. And so if you look at the list of of really pretty significant sins involving sex and power that have brought down uh, leaders, political leaders in New York and in Albany in particular, it's actually striking how how much more limited uh, what we're talking about with Cuomo is. The sex stuff didn't bring down Patterson. It did, did bring down the other two, but it really should have. You know, he was sort of openly talking about having affairs with his staff right when he uh, right when he became governor. Patterson? Um, yeah. I and, remember and, that speech. Look, I'm going to put it out on the table because Spitzer had just been, you know, dragged across every New York tabloid for his affair. Yeah. So everyone work. everyone shrugged it off w- w- with Patterson for, for a number of reasons. Um, but there has been a really built up culture of rotten behavior that, that's allowed for a lot. 
And then the big thing with Cuomo, and this really came up with Melissa DeRosa's call to the legislature that, that, that sort of blew everything up for him. The whole point of that call was actually to implicate the legislature so that they couldn't say anything. Because Melissa DeRosa says this thing real quick about how, hey, we knew you wanted these numbers. We had to deal with the Trump Justice Department and they're bad people and that's why we didn't which does, isn't quite true and doesn't hold up to accounts, but she's saying this quickly. And if they don't respond right then to the proxy for the most powerful person by far in the state and say, no, that's absolutely not so, which is not an easy thing to do, then they're implicated. And the next time this comes up, Cuomo's response and DeRosa and the other proxies' responses is, hey, they knew about this and they didn't say anything, so they were implicitly okay with it. So there's this really difficult so, sort of blackmail or, or spreading of guilt where whatever they do, they then sort of blame or implicate everyone else in so that there's no one able to hold them to account. So the people who are piling on now, and I have no doubt they're piling on, and I'm sure they're doing so partly for political advantage as politicians, but they were actually given no choice. Like this is the bluff Cuomo has called for and insisted on. His other defense was if they really wanted these records, they would have subpoenaed me. Like, uh, so if the lawmakers <laughs> aren't willing to sue me, the most powerful and vengeance-driven guy in the state, then they're on my team. So, I mean, that, that, that's a hell of a bullish threat. And, you know, seeing a bully get knocked around, even if all the specifics or terms or timings aren't entirely right or entirely fair, is in many ways like a satisfying and overdue thing. The big hope is that you end up with a fairer system in full at the end of it. Anyways, I'm sure we're going to be talking about this for, for weeks and weeks to come. Uh, but we do have uh, Ray McGuire. Uh, you're going to get some answers about what's in his art collection, uh, whether or not he's an android. And uh, whether or not he is, in fact, uh, your Huckleberry. So we should jump right in. Ray McGuire, thank you so much for joining us. Let's uh, let's jump right in. You, you released last week uh, your policing plan. Uh, will you tell us just a little about that? And then we've got a host of questions to get through with you. And thank you again for taking the time. Yeah, thank you for asking me about the policing plan. Uh, it's in response to where we are in the overall uh, environment where gun violence is up almost 100%, murders are over, up almost 45 to 50%. We saw the alleged crime last week between Rigoberto Lopez, the mentally challenged New Yorker who apparently stabbed a couple of other New Yorkers. We saw the aggressive policing in the subway. And what my plan intends to do is to address the challenge that we have in uh, NYPD with, between the many New Yorkers and uh, in the NYPD. The culture that I'm attempting to instill is called uh, RAP, Respect, Accountability, and Proportionality. Today, that respect has been breached in large part because many of the serial abusers for whom we pay $200 plus million a year have yet to be held accountable in any visible way. And so we need to address that. And proportionality comes down to, as been said by many others, if the only thing that you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Especially in black and brown communities, uh, it, it looks like a sledgehammer. So we need to begin to address that. And I do that by the following. One, I first create, and, and this is ultimately for my accountability, I first create a deputy mayor for public safety. And that deputy mayor for public safety is job description is to help on the day-to-day -day coordination and management of the NYPD uh, as my deputy mayor. So we would make sure that we have some accountability. It appears today that there's been some disconnect in terms of uh, accountability between the mayor and the police. 
Why does adding another layer, which you have in your plan, a couple other candidates have also suggested, I know other cities have, New York does not, uh, create more accountability for a police commissioner to the mayor who they already report to? Because it creates more day-to-day management, more to more hands-on management. What we are experiencing today is there is somewhat of an abdication of the responsibility for what NYPD does. And under my mayoralship, I want to make certain that I'm held accountable. And I have people who work with me directly so that they're held accountable on a daily basis for the management of the NYPD. I'm not prepared to abdicate. I'm prepared to be held accountable. And this structure allows me to have more day-to-day hands-on active management. Just one other question there. Is that that about the structure, though, or is that about de Blasio? It seems to me that Bloomberg and Giuliani had, had different issues with policing but that there wasn't a problem with having their uh, commissioners respond to them, per se. Well, you know, it's, it's a product of both. So, you know, I will have an insurance policy here. Uh, and that gives me the insurance policy that I think is going to be necessary for us to be able to address a system that clearly is not within anyone's control. And so this allows me to do just that. It allows me to have day-to-day management, allows me to remain accountable, and allows me to be able to report directly to New Yorkers on the status of the relationship between the NYPD and New Yorkers, which is going to be, it's critical today, and we need to continue to focus on it. Uh, the other is what we've seen not so apparent today is, is chain of command accountability. And that chain of command accountability for officer conduct is something that today we have not experienced, and we need to make sure not only does the person who conducts the aggressive policing is not only is that person held accountable, but the chain of command is held accountable. And then I want to make certain that we go through and look at uh, public safety spending. We've increased that almost a billion, billion to a billion and a half dollars over the past few years, and we need to address that. And I also want to make certain that we look at the ComStat measures that give us much better sensitivity into community safety, which today we don't have. And the other thing that I've talked about is uh, instituting community policing as a foundation of the NYPD activity. You know that when we had community policing, when the police knew the citizens and the citizens knew the police, the incidence of, of activity uh, was reduced materially. And I want to continue to do that. I want to reinstate that. I've also talked about creation of a uh, emergency social services. Uh, and it's 24 hours. It's uh, citywide. And the units are for mental health and, and substance misuse incidents. Proportionality is at the center of this. So I want to make sure we do that. And then I want to make sure that we do whatever we can to increase the number of officers focused on seizing the illegal weapons. I have to get to this iron pipeline, I-95. And that I-95 pipeline, not only into the communities where the, where the firearms are manufactured, but into the 10 precincts or so that have historically had the highest incidence of, of violence. I want to make certain that we do that. And I also want to go directly to the neighborhoods to create a quality of life scorecard by neighborhood. And the other thing that I want to do is to uh, address some of the challenges that are clear challenges, has to do with homelessness and transition to stable housing. And I want to put these accountability measures into the neighborhoods. And finally, what I want to do is in terms of accountability, is to give the CCRB authority, investigative authority. And so that means that rather than take the almost 48 days or so that it requires, I want to have the video cam footage reviewed in 48 hours. 
and empower the CCRB with full investigative authorities so they can make a recommendation. And I also want to end qualified immunity for the police officers. And finally, what I want to do is to make the victims of police violence eligible for uh, their families eligible for crime victim benefits. That gives you kind of a snapshot of what I intend and what I've outlined in my safety and justice plan. And what that will do is begin to restore the trust, uh, which has clearly been breached. It will, it will create public accountability, which helps restore the trust and it puts police in the community and creates the services that can intervene, uh, that are most appropriate to intervene, especially when it comes to mental health issues and substance abuse issues. So I want to back up just kind of 30,000 feet just a little bit because you've gotten some big wig endorsements for this race. But one of the most important endorsements, I would argue, isn't Patrick Ewing or Spike Lee. It's Ms. Gwen Carr, uh, who's the mother of Eric Garner, who endorsed you. And in part of her endorsement, she talked about your managerial style and the fact that you would get the city back on track economically. Um, How did that endorsement come about? I mean, we've known Mother Carr for quite some time. She obviously has been in audiences where we've been. We have a relationship with her. And as we sat and talked to her and outlined things that were important to us and the vision that we have for this city, she has talked to, I would assume, all the other candidates and decided that my candidacy and my vision for this New York represented the vision that she had for New York or has for New York. And Mother Carr, I, you know, we, I went to visit with her. I went to Staten Island to visit with her. We visited the scene of the crime. We talked about it. It was a, it was a, you know, I, I've interacted with her before, but that was such a precious moment, such an important moment. And, you know, I just don't know the weight that she carries. I don't know the weight that a mother carries when she sees her son in that in, in, in transition the way that her son transitioned. That right. level of a humanity was you know, it's just not acceptable. And so she looked at that. She looked at me and and she looks at what the city should be and what it's capable of being and saw that my candidacy with my track record of having been involved in the communities and supporting the communities across a whole spectrum of areas is something that she felt was important to endorse. And when did you all first meet? Was it shortly after um, Eric Gardner's death or was it more recently when you decided to run for the mayoralty? It's, I've known her before I started running for mayor. So it's, you know, these, I've seen her in different venues. I've seen her at National Action Network on a couple of occasions, a few occasions. She's talked to my wife on a number of occasions. So we've developed a relationship with Mother Carr. Did it, Reverend Al Sharpton help uh, facilitate or uh, create that relationship? You know, I, she is, as have many of the other victims and victims' families of aggressive policing, police violence, have all, um, I, don't, I can't tell you they've convened around, but Al Sharpton has been there for them in ways that others had not been, and Al Sharpton has been consistent. So you will see a number of the victims' families having been supported by National Action Network, having been supported by personally by Reverend Al Sharpton, he has been in every incident. He has been there to support every family. If there is a civil rights leader today that has national recognition and respect, it's Al Sharpton. So it is no surprise that Mother Gwen Carr uh, is a is a person who who is there at National Action Network. You see, um, when I was last there, uh, one of the Central Park Five was also there. He comes every weekend, every Saturday. 
for the National Action Network broadcast and for the, the message that gets disseminated from National Action pulpit, podium. So what you find there is a number of people convening because they find this is a place of safety and they find it's a place of solace. They find it a place of support and they find it a place of activism for the right thing, which has been consistent over time. Would that be in there? Pardon, would that be a yes to the uh, just to the direct question about wh- whether he helped uh, facilitate or, or introduce the? Uh, he did not have any direct interaction. Okay, and I'm then he's supportive, but I don't have any evidence of him having been any. You know, she talked to my wife more than she's talked to probably anybody else, and my wife is extraordinary. In, in there was a New York Times profile of you last week. At this point, you had some incredible art on the wall, and if we had more time. I, I would do a whole hour just asking you uh, about your artwork. But one thing that came up there in, in passing was the uh, support that you've given to NAN. And it didn't get into any specifics about that. I looked around a little and didn't see any. And I was wondering if that's something you'd be able to talk a bit about. And then I have one other, uh, you know, in this uh, streets to sweets part, one other sweets related question for you. Yeah, one of the things that, that was not uh, where there was not a heavy focus is the investment that we've had historically in civil rights organizations. We've been longstanding supporters of uh, LDF, uh, longstanding supporters of LDF. And my wife actually has done the documentaries for the past several galas of LDF. We've been supportive of Susan Taylor's Cares Mentoring. We've been supportive of the, of the National Urban League. We've been supporters of the New York Urban League. So we have a long history of supporting civil rights activists. And if I look at the people who, on whose shoulders I stand, two of whom you may know, I, uh, you may know Vernon Jordan, and you also may know a person by the name of Franklin A. Thomas. Franklin A. Thomas is uh, the person who started Bedford-Stuyvesant Restoration Corporation. Franklin Thomas was one of the first leaders of the Ford Foundation. Franklin Thomas is a person who negotiated the peace between uh, de Klerk Bota and Mandela for the transition of South Africa. So Franklin A. Thomas is one of the heroes in the civil rights movement. So uh, it is on his shoulders that I stand and his example of handing down the ladder so that when people like me get into positions where we can be supportive and remember we're being known by our deeds, which is what my word says, then we support and we support without fanfare. We support because it is fundamental to who we are in recognition of how we got here, which is a lesson that I've never learned, which is a, at the foundation of who I am. So yes, NAN, and frankly, all the other civil rights organizations that you can think of, as well as many of the organizations today, like SEO and MLT, all those organizations that are supportive of young, emerging, black and brown talent, men and women, uh, in opening doors for them where otherwise the doors wouldn't be open. That kind of commitment is what we have demonstrated to the course of me being in New York City for the past four decades, and it started long before I got here. Well, just one other wealth question quickly, and I know uh, Professor Greer has a few things you'd like to ask. Um, so, you know, naturally there's been curiosity about how rich you are, and you have not, you've not given an uh, exact dollar figure answer to that. Uh, I am curious, you know, if you were to be elected mayor, what you would uh, disclose at that point and also what controls you would place on your investments and other assets, uh, you know, should you be there in 2022? First of all, whatever the requisite disclosures are, I would follow whatever the rules are. You know, I'm not shy about that. There's got to be transparency here. And so I would follow whatever the rules of engagement are. 
and we would follow them down to the spirit and the letter of the law. So I want to back up just a little bit because you were talking about some of the boards you're on and some of the support that you and your wife and your family have given to various organizations. And so the board leadership and the board membership, um, by and large, at least from your website, aren't necessarily Black-led organizations, um, but obviously your philanthropic efforts go to Black-led organizations. And so one of the complaints that, you know, a lot of social justice advocates say is that, you know, they get money, but it's not necessarily from Black people directly, right? Um, and so you you sort of intimated that that's not the case. You actually do support uh, Black-led organizations. But it seems as though, at least for me, you know, all of my kind of Harvard-Columbia folks know who you are, like who you are, are on board for making this happen. What do you say to sort of kind of the average Black person uh, in New York City who doesn't necessarily know you? Why should they trust you? What exactly are you doing to speak to them? And so we've heard sort of the, the sort of train tracks narrative this kind of bootstrap narrative, but recognizing that not everyone is born with boots. So how do we reach other New Yorkers, Black New Yorkers specifically for this question? Um, What's your intention on sort of getting to know them and getting to know their issues in particular? Well, I, you know, I, the organizations that I've outlined here are organizations that are dedicated to the civil rights and civil and economic justice and criminal justice of Black people specifically design Alvin Ailey as an example, or Bedford Style Restoration Corporation as an example, or Cares Mentoring as an example, or uh, you get on the list of things, figure skating in Harlem as an example. So there are a number of organizations, National Urban League, New York Urban League, NAACP, those organizations are organizations that have been specifically designed whose mission is the uplifting of black people. So that's where the investment has gone. I've not highlighted those things, again, because my word says, you know, I should be known by my deeds. So it's not something I put on a flyer. It's not something I put in a press release. But the track record uh, of where I've been, as they say in the neighborhood, I got receipts. I've made the investments and I got receipts. And, uh, you know, I also have a number of young black and brown men and women mentees to whom I've extended the ladder. So my answer to you is what I've been communicating and all the boroughs for the people who know me. And uh, the number of testimonials out there is pretty significant. The people who know me and the people who don't know me look at the examples of the people who know me and say, this person has actually changed my life, had an impact on my life. And that's how I think about it, you know? So where do you think, knowing that, uh, where do you think you are in the campaign right now? So yes, you've gotten some great endorsements, but, you know, I would say the field is seven, maybe eight of you, depending on what forum we're attending. And you, how many do you have this evening? Mm, two or three. Uh, you know, it's, it's, we got to keep, Christian, you know, you got to keep charge of those things. So <laughs> I look at the calendar. I look on the calendar. I need to take sometimes it's three, four. Uh, I'm not sure how many there is today. If I can look at the calendar and tell you, but uh, there right. are a number of them. I think there should be a calisthenics portion of the mayoral race. I try that in the morning, people. right? I try that in the morning. It's tough at night when you get off a nine o'clock forum. You know, it's yeah, something well, you got to get on sleep in, right? You got some point you got to lay your head down because, you know, it's going to be starting off tomorrow again. And I've been, you know, I've been in the boroughs also. I've been walking around. I've been going to 
churches. I've been going to the faith-based community. I've been going to the boroughs. I've been talking to the small businesses. I've been to Bronx, been to Queens, been to Staten Island, been to Upper Harlem, been to Central Harlem, been to Brooklyn. So I'm going all around, the obviously COVID protocol, but I'm in the community talking to the people. And to answer your question earlier, the people, the message is resonating. People recognize that I do have receipts. They recognize that I have a long track record of making certain that we do the best by our people with a, with a focus on just that. You know, while I've been a soul brother, S-O-U-L, I've made sure that I wasn't the soul brother, S-O-L-E, breaking down doors <laughs> and making certain that other folks would come in. If I hadn't done it, we wouldn't be far as we are. And I, you know, I feel very good about having extended the ladder and, and created opportunities, both educational and economic and criminal and social justice opportunities for black and brown people with a long history of having done that. A long history. And I take so, a lot of pride in that with a lot of humility because it wasn't easy to get here, right? Right. So, Well, before I hand you back over to Harry, we still have some Nietzsche and Riker stuff before we, we let you out of here. But I do want to, I'm curious as to who would be your kitchen cabinet? Because I think, you know, part of the, the skepticism is, is this going to be an Upper East Side Sag Harbor candidacy, governance structure? I'm, I mean, this is, hey, this is what the streets say. I hear you. I hear, well, not all the streets aren't saying that. <laughs> so, well, well, just hold, know, up, hold up. I got you. But you keep going. Let me tell you what the streets are saying. Okay. So there, there are lots of streets in New York, five boroughs. So some of some of said streets are like, listen, nobody's got time for, and I know you don't like this phrase, but nobody's got time for a black Bloomberg coming in here. A lot of folks have never heard of you before. You know, obviously our Harvard Ivy League friends have, sure. But like regular New Yorkers, like who is this cat? And what's his management style going to be? Does he think that he can govern this city like it's Citibank, which it's not, right? We've seen lots of people who come in with this kind of mar- managerial narrative where, you know, people are widgets and pegs. And it's like, no, these are citizens with real problems. And so the question is, who would be, you know, sort of members of your cabinet and who would be members of your kitchen cabinet that you're thinking about? Because obviously, you know, let us know what you think some of your Achilles heels are coming into the job if you are elected as 110th mayor. Sure. First of all, let me react to the narrative. One, you know, it's not clear how you get I will, I'm not going to be defined by the narrative of just being somebody who works on Wall Street, who is because Mike Bloomberg also walked on Wall Street, worked on Wall Street, that that's the comparable. That is not the comparable for me. I'm not going to be defined that way. And as a 6'4", 200-pound black man, I can be defined as either being uh, Eric Garner or George Floyd or, or, or Bell. I can be defined that way. I can be defined as an athlete or entertainer, which probably gives people some comfort but at some point, you got to define me for, look at my track record. Look at who I am as a 6'4 black man who broke down doors and made sure that other black and brown people got to these positions. I would be defined that way as opposed to how their narrative is attempting to define me, which I quite candidly find more pejorative than, than, you know, than it should be. It's just flat out pejorative. I worked hard to get here. I worked hard to get here. Ain't nobody look like me, done what I've done. Nobody look, who looks like anybody else, done what I've done for 13 years. I've never forgotten where I came from. I come from the neighborhood. I do know the language of the streets and the suites, so I reject summarily the narrative that tries to paint me one way. That ain't my narrative. That's somebody else's narrative. And so who is my kitchen cabinet? I don't know. You know Taquana Henderson Rivers? You know Eljoy Williams? 
You know Lupe Medina? Do you know Basil Schmeichel? Do you know Prisca Salazar? Do you know uh, Antonia Jeffrey? These are the people running the campaign. And happens to be that the vast majority of them are black women. That's my kitchen cabinet. They're directing this campaign. They're on the ground. Nye Whitaker. They're in Queens. They're in Harlem. They're in Brooklyn. They're in the Bronx. They're in Staten Island. That's my kitchen cabinet. They're running the campaign. And they'd be a part of your administration? If they'd like you'd to be. Ask them. Okay. If they'd like to be. I think you look at the track record here of how inclusive I have been and look at the mentees of mine. They're across the board. And not all these people should be, the narrative shouldn't vilify these people. We should celebrate them. We're celebrating black excellence here. We're trying to make certain that others, especially the all New Yorkers, but especially the ones who look like me have the opportunity that I had. It shouldn't just be out of luck. We got to make the investment. We got to pay the intention. So I summarily reject that, that comparable. He never woke up black. He never had to go into a boardroom. They're trying to figure out who he is and who's Ray McGuire. He never had to go in and be the only person who looked like him advising CEOs, senior management teams, and boards on their strategy for the entirety of their business. He never had to do that. And I did that for longer than anybody else in the history of Wall Street. Full stop. I didn't say black. I said the history of Wall Street. I come from a neighborhood. I'm good with that. I got here on four stools. You know what they are? It is prayer because this is a walk of faith. It is preparation. I know what it's like not to be prepared. It is performance because I got to perform every single day. If I don't perform, it ain't no popularity contest. You know what, growing up in the neighborhood? The last one is paranoia. You got to have a little bit of, a little bit of paranoia because you know they're trying to dunk on you. Okay. All right, Ray McGuire. When I, look, uh, when I look at the polls, right, the public polling, maybe you have your own. I've got, I got a different question than, than Professor Greer does there. I, I just see that a lot of New Yorkers don't seem to know who you are yet. And I know you've got a, a, a beautiful ads and uh, a lot of money to spend with no cap on it. Um, but, uh, you know, you're not your own campaign manager, but is that a concern at this point? We're less than four months out and, and you seem to be at a point where you still are introducing yourself to a lot of people. Harry, you know how these polls go. It's an early poll. These are early days, man. We got a long race to go. The poll you should look at is what happens on the, you know, in June. That's the poll I'm focused on. And I'm playing every single point in every borough. It's early days. I ain't worried about the poll, man. I know what I got to do. I got to get out and get the name out there. We're up on the air today. We're out. I'm dropping. I'm dropping mail. We're going door to door. I'm on the radio. We're putting ads on. You know, I'm going digital. I'm going every single medium I can get to get my name out. So, so okay, so we, okay. Let me do Rikers, and then we'll get you a night, a night and Harry. Sorry, okay, because yeah. <laughs> Ray's like, I'm leaving y'all. Goodbye. So, I'm y'all. no, no, Professor, I'm here with you. Okay, you bringing good. the heat. I'm bringing the fire. We good, good. Okay, as Grammy would say, we're cooking with gas. I'm telling you, 100, percent Professor, 100. percent Okay. Okay. So, one, have you been to Rikers? No, I haven't been. I've been, I've been neither as a citizen nor as I've been as a you know. Okay, so if you become the 110th mayor of New York City, what is your plan? I I don't mean to edit the professor, but I just want to throw this little in. When I become the mayor, well, we're not, we don't endorse. I know you're nonpartisan. I know you can't do that. That's what I'm saying. My edit, my edit, not yours. My edit. Your edit is when. I'm good. I'm all in. For the sake of the question. When, W-H-E-N and W-I-N. Okay. Okay. So fast forward to, you get sworn in January 1st, 2022, okay? Let's visualize. It's clearly that's what we're doing. I, it's in my head already. You going to be there yeah. with me? 
Well, when it's Harry cold. I'm always there? there with New York you One. When Harry gonna be with me? <laughs> FAQ okay. NYC. We'll be there. We'll have a live. We'll have a live uh, mayoral uh, episode. And if you win, then obviously you got to come over. I'm gonna come, in, I'm gonna come and say hi to y'all. What's up, yes. Senior Professor? I'll be calling you Professor Greer. <laughs> there won't right. be a podcast. See, we going live. Harry Siegel, <laughs> you got my mic sound nice, man. Come check my mic with me, Harry. <laughs> so that being said. We got to figure out Rikers because there are far too many Black and Latinx young men and, and now a growing number of young women who are trapped in Rikers largely purely because of poverty. Um, yep. And so we know that Mayor de Blasio started this sort of borough plan that has not come to fruition. We know that there are lots of NIMBY issues when it comes to Rikers. Uh, it's one of the largest and most dangerous jail systems in the country. What is your solution specifically for Rikers? Not just kind of policing and governance, but, but how don't, don't dismiss, you but, don't, but, don't, but just don't dismiss my policing and government. That's a good plan. That plan is solid, okay? Being informed by okay. ex-law enforcement, current law enforcement. You got to give me that. Sure. That thing is solid. You and Harry Siegel looked at that and say, okay, let's poke holes in it. It's pretty <laughs> impregnable. Okay, I got you. Now, we need to talk about Rikers. Rikers is deplorable. We need to find a better way. And I need to find transition. We don't have the capacity today. It's going to take us years to spend $10 billion to build vertical jails, which we don't have any evidence anywhere on the planet that actually works. So I got to find a better way. Could I renew? Could I re- First of all, I need to transition those people, not serial criminals, who are, you know, the petty criminals who couldn't pay a $250 bail. We need to get those out of it. We need to get them transitioned. It shouldn't be the case that I go to 125th Street and, and Lexington Avenue and give somebody who's been in Rikers $20 on a Metro card and nowhere to go. So we have to find a way to transition those people in Rikers out of Rikers, and we need to do it sooner rather than later. Building the jails, I'm not convinced yet that that is the right way to go. It's complicated. Building vertical jails in each of these neighborhoods, you're going to get NIMBY issues. It's going to cost you $10 billion, which is what's on. I think I can spend $10 billion a better way than that. How so? Doing what? Well, I can transition for one. I can, I can do, I can, you know, get a whole bunch of inmates, a whole bunch of inmates, a whole bunch of the for, formerly incarcerated, and give them away back into society. Today, we're not providing that service. We have people there who want to have jobs, who are capable of having jobs. We need to go into Rikers and begin the services. I have my emergency social services. I will expand that. I want to go into Rikers. I want to talk to the people in Rikers. I want to understand what the conditions are. I want to do an assessment of uh, mental health, person by person, and begin to do something that the system has not done, and that is treat each one of these men and women with the dignity that's appropriate, and then find a way individually to transition them out, transition them out into housing, transition them out into basic job and apprenticeship. I'm going to get rid of that, so I reduce the population of Rikers for those people who are not threats to society. We may have some who are mentally challenged. We have we may have some who just couldn't pay a two hundred fifty dollar bail, but I got to get them out of there. And so I'm going to take a, let me call it a billion of dollars, a billion a billion dollars of what you've talked about, and come up with with and just think what I can do with a billion dollars in social services and transition housing, and workforce training. Just think about what I can do with a billion dollars, just one billion dollars. Speaking of billion dollars. And just as we've got to bounce topic to topic a little for time, you tweeted today about NYCHA. Uh, the great Greg B. Smith over at the city had a piece up about lead turning up in apartments that have been declared lead-free. You said uh, 
we need NYCHA to address these unhealthy and unsafe living conditions, including lead paint now. Uh, New Yorkers can't afford to wait. I'll get to the bottom of this as mayor. So generally speaking, how would you get to the bottom of this at, at NYCHA? Like, what are the tools that a mayor has at his disposal? And how much of this would be in your hands? And how much of this would come down to what help you're able to get from the federal government? So listen, the, the feds, you know, at $40 billion with at least, you know, billions of dollars needed at each one of the housing complexes, you need to intercede today. I have enough capital in my capital. I know I have enough capacity, Harry, in the capital budget to do some of these repairs immediately. The way that we go about this is a way that hasn't happened, which means that you need to have the, the CCOP, which are the presidents, the local tenant association, pres, the association presidents, convene them and have us collectively come up with a plan to immediately redress what's taking place with the open tickets in NYCHA. It takes, a on average, 135 days to fix an open ticket. In a private residence, it's 30 days. Five times, four to five times as long. I know with what the professor has described as my managerial and leadership skills, I know how to get this done by bringing the right people to the table. And right now, we haven't had the right people at the table. It is way too bureaucratic. We don't have the right people who are there who can actually manage the repairs. And the system of repairs is antiquated. Is Federal Monitor helpful there, unhelpful, or, or would it make a difference to you? You know, Federal Monitor is fine. We've tried a lot of things. It just hasn't worked. 85 years, NYCHA has been in existence here. And for the past 10 to 15 or 20, we've all, we've all had press releases and all the promises. And, and just think about the people you talked about in government. What has happened? We've gone in the reverse for the people who've had lifetimes of government experience. Government experience, and I think it's a noble profession, but you have to add to that some ability to manage something because what has happened today in economics, in education, in healthcare, and in the criminal justice system, we've gone backwards. And so we need to have somebody there who's got a, who's got a plan and a vision, who's got a history of executing, who can get the right people in place to make a difference. New Yorkers want something different. The same old, same old has not happened. All the promises have gone unfulfilled, including NYCHA. Just look at it. Who promised to do what? Nice. We still got the problems. I still got lead. I still get, you know, I, you know, was at the Jackson house the other day and I'm looking outside. Woman says, you know, come in, we visit an apartment, open the door and they're, you know, they're feces outside of the apartment on a landing. And then I look at the chutes there and in the, in the higher floor, well, other than the base floor, the shoots are very large, but some of the tenant associations are worried about people getting many in the range. The shoots are large enough that, you know, maybe they can just put a kid down there. I mean, these things need to be, we need to take care and have some active participation by people who are on the ground there, who are living here, and get their input and then begin to act on that. So I would call an immediate session, give me the CCOP presidents and the tennis association, get them in a room, and these are the prescriptions. I'll give draft prescriptions. And make sure we get the right people to go make these repairs immediately. Because right now, many of these conditions are deplorable and they need to be addressed. And all the people have come and said, I'm going to do this. All people said, I'm going to come do that. Ain't nothing happened. We've gone backwards. So, okay. I have so many thoughts, but we got to let you. We have, we have our lightning round. Um, you know, in 2013, in 2013, before COVID, obviously, um, the candidates spent the night in NYCHA housing. Would you be willing to do that if, if that was a COVID safe? Yeah, I'll go to NYCHA houses. Yeah, also, of course. I grew up in the neighborhood. Why well, was scared to go to NYCHA houses? 
Okay. Well, well, yeah, everyone, I'm all in. Yeah. Everyone slept over, so I didn't know if that was go, offered, yeah, if you would be doing yeah, it. I go, I go sleep over. Yes. I go sleep over. Okay. Um, Harry, I was going to do lightning round. How about that? Let's do it just real quick before we start. Uh, before you were running, when was the last time you were in uh, yeah, in NYCHA housing and where were you? Mm, before I was what? I was just there. Mm-hmm. I was just there over the – just I was in the Bronx last week. Uh, I was in, in Brooklyn, Marcy, walking around Marcy not so long ago. So, I, you know, I've been in and around. I've been around – you know where my, 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 my policies get informed? By talking to the Tenant Association. By talking to the presidents there, by talking to the residents there. That's how my policies get informed. I'm not just pulling something off the shelf. I'm talking to the people. Okay. Lightning round. Lightning round. Esther and Harry. <laughs> All right. Oh, First our producer, up. our producer you... had one one question to ask. Uh and then then we will. I'm sorry, Chrissy. I'm sorry. I'm Oh I'm... right. Oh, gotcha. I see it. <laughs> uh Kevin Parker, uh, State Senator Kevin Parker, just curious if uh, you have any thoughts about his support, uh, particularly just given the various incidents of uh, like pretty strong aggression he's been involved in at several points, sort of spilling over. I don't have a view on the facts of what's taking place with Senator Kevin Parker. I was just on a podcast with him or a Facebook Live with him. Obviously, you saw that. So I don't have a view on that. I don't have any facts. Fair. There, there's a good list at city and state of his five, I think, most notable eruptions. Uh, but to lightning round. Do you support non-citizen voting in New York City? No. Do you have a NYC ID? No. They keep asking me that. I got a, you know, I got an enhanced ID. You got an enhanced ID? No. I'm getting one next month, but that's not a New York City ID. I know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm, you know, I, I don't know if lightning round, you can ask lightning <laughs> No, it doesn't work that way, sir. Should the should New York City run the MTA? Uh, if, they, if they can afford to. Right now, they can't afford to. MTA is working at a deficit. We got a big budget deficit, which is why my plan is to get New Yorkers out of this deficit by growing our way out of this. So I hear the theory about the New York, New York run of the MTA. Okay, you give me another albatross. I'm going to work with that. What's Kendra's law, and is it over, under, or properly applied? Under applied, that is to make certain that those who, uh, who should be taken care of, who are mentally challenged, uh, you know, should we apply it more aggressively? The answer is yes, because the incidents that uh, people losing lives, we've just seen two alleged or one alleged incident with two I guess lost lives, and we ought to you know, we ought to apply it a bit more aggressively. Because I think these incidents are only going to increase, unfortunately, given COVID and given some of the breakdown in our and non-funding some of the not-for-profits that could have intervened, especially the social services, and mental health, uh, and mental health care professionals. Who is one person in the De Blasio administration who impresses you uh, with the work they've done? Uh, I would say uh, Tom Finkelpearl. Should subways and buses be free? No, we should pay something for them. You get kind of what you pay for. Do you support fair fares? Uh, sure, I support fair fares. And then last three, last three, and these are all. Hold on, I have a, I have a quick one that I want to throw in, though, Harry. Yeah, Do, you you Do you have a beard in? Do I have a beard in? Do you ever run me a beard? No, I can't answer that question where you want me to. <laughs> You know I can't. I'm not going to answer it the way I want to answer it. I'm just going to answer it. I'm going to answer it. Yes, I do have a Ramar beard. Yes, I do. May I have it? Second question, lightning round. 
it's just yes or no. Just yes or no. <laughs> you know, you know, you get me riled up now, <laughs> Professor. You know. I would All right, just, Harry. I would. I just. Keep, say, I could, you know what? You know what? You know. What? I'm gonna send you a picture. How about that? Right for the FAQ crowd, I uh, assume that's a no. I could not get no, a straight no, no, answer. I don't, I, I don't no, 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 no. I want the NB, I don't want there to be any ambiguity. It ain't no. It ain't no assume. No, no. It's, you know what your SAT crowd? No, hell to the no. Okay. <laughs> so you have more a, than one. That's a no. I didn't say that, Harry. I did not say that, Harry. But you did not say that, which is why I'm checking. Okay, last three, last three. As mayor, these are all, as mayor, would you? As mayor, would you make every meeting on your daily schedule immediately public? Mm, I don't know. If I'm meeting with some head of state or something like that, or, the, you know, I, I can't commit to that. You know, some okay. just don't, you know. Okay. As mayor, would you continue to release transcripts on your public appearances? Absolutely. I would, yes, release transcripts, Professor. Okay. And as mayor, how many parking placards uh, would your administration be issuing? How many do I have available? <laughs> uh, that, that, that's, that's, that the interesting thing is that that's truly up to you. So, so we, will, uh, we will leave it there. That, that was a beautiful pushback. You missed in our a previous iteration before this campaign started. Have you seen Blade Runner? Blade Runner, yeah, oh, man. Yeah. Are Mad we Max doing this Blade again? Runner. Have you seen? Have you seen? Uh, have you seen Val Kilmer and and uh, what's that one? Oh, Blade Runner. Uh, not not Blade. Wait, Val Kilmer. What are we talking about? <laughs> like Batman? <laughs> no, not Batman. The Western movie. Because you're going Blade. Oh, Tombstone. Going, Tombstone. Yeah, That's yeah. The best Tombstone. Movie. The best Tombstone. movie. Yes. That's it, right? I'll be your Huckleberry. You're Daisy if you do. <laughs> you're Daisy if you do. <laughs> Uh, All I know is, if you are fun. the 110th mayor of New York City, when I don't I'm know. the 110th mayor, when? when? Is there going to be like movie night at Gracie Mansion? Oh man, we're going to do Blade Runner. Wait, 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 wait. I mean, we got to go Fast and Furious. My crew, Fast and Furious. We got to go on. When that thing opens, I am there the first show. I'm the first show, so I'm all in. What else y'all got? What else y'all? You gonna go? How Harry gonna go? Harry went back to Blade Runner. He gonna go to Mad Max. What you got, Harry? He has well, some ridiculous Blade Runner questions. Okay, <laughs> Blade Runner question, Harry. You trying to write it out now? It's we're on podcast. You trying, Harry? Trying to write his question it's out? Been a mi- it's no, no. It's been a minute. It's been no. a minute. But look, you see if a you, turtle lying well, backward, lying on a shell on the side of a road. It's wiggling. You don't help it. Why? What's on the side of the show? Uh, I got a turtle doing what? There's a turtle on the side of the road. A photo. Turtle. A turtle. Tortoise. A tortoise. A turtle. A tortoise. Yeah, a tortoise it's on, on the, the side, side of the road. road. It's just wriggling backwards in its shell, trying to flip over, but it can't do it. And you just stare at it, and you're watching, but you're not helping. Why? Because it, because it, because it, turtle, turtle, because eventually it's going to beat me there, right? Okay, interesting. Ooh, I got to think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> don't think too long, Harry. We gotta go. Come on, Harry, man. I don't mean to stump the panel. You asking the question, man. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Uh, your little boy shows you his butterfly collection plus the what? killing jar. What do you what? say? What happens? What happens, kid? <laughs> Who's doing well, what? This will make sense later. I will explain <laughs> later. But your, the last question here is uh, oh, even better. Even better. Hold on. Your producer's sending you questions, Harry. 
No, no, she's you know coming. My producer said, stop, Harry, stop, stop. <laughs> right. These are the questions in Blade Runner that they ask to determine whether or not you're an android. And so we and asked I'm not an android, man. I'm not, I'm not an android. That's ain't just what no, the androids would say. Ain't got no android in my joint, man. Come on. I'm I don't iPhone. know. That sounds very android to me. I'm an iPhone man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not android. I do iPhone. That's what you're trying to ask me. Oh, <laughs> have mercy. Wait, hold on. Ask the killing jar, Harry. Y'all got another one? No, you you couldn't hear. Ray, I'm sorry. For you to be the wealthiest candidate in this race, you have the worst sound system of all the I candidates. I don't. He told me to put these things on. Man, I got a headset here. I didn't know y'all wanted me to go all the way digital. I put this thing on. Harry said, yeah, your mic sounds nice. I got some gear here. Y'all want to see something? Ewing, how come Patrick Ewing that. never got Look the that gear? It's Look beautiful. at that. It's beautiful. You your focus like right now is beautiful. Like you're you're in a better focus than all the other candidates. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. How come Patrick I, Ewing never delivered a championship? Be honest. I, he promised know, every year. He, was, he promised he'll deliver one at some point. We'll get one from him. He just delivered a championship. He just gave his endorsement. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! This inauguration is going to be out of bounds. You know what they out of we, bounds. no no it's going what they call it, it's going to be lit. Okay. <laughs> well, I was about to, you know what? You know what? So, okay. Can we come over and see the art? That's the true last question. Sure you can. Sure okay. you can. No cameras. No zero cameras. Don't bring Android over here, man. Seriously. <laughs> no. I don't need to take pictures. I just, you know. Yes, if you got a Henry Asa with Tanner, you know, you got a Jacob Lawrence or William Johnson, I'm into it. How about Aaron Douglas and how about uh, Norman Lewis? Yes. How yes. about uh, how about David Hammonds? How about Theastra Gates? How about Lawrence? Hey, Sutton? excuse me. Have you seen David Hammonds, the cover of my book? There you go. There you go. You got the flag. You got the flag. You come over. Maybe you go in the David Hammonds entrance. I'm blowing myself up now, okay? <laughs> well, David I mean, Hammonds, why you don't have David, matching funds. David Hammonds. No, no, no. I can only contribute to David Hammonds basketball drawing, okay? Okay. It's like I say, we'll set it up. Like I'm saying, don't define me the way that narrative goes, okay? That all that okie doke stuff ain't working. Define me as who I am, okay? All right. Well, time shall tell, Gray McGuire for mayor. Thank you so much for joining us on FAQ NYC. We appreciate it. Thank you. Uh Harry, thank you. Uh your producer who's given you questions to ask me, thank you. And the inimitable, indefatigable Professor Greer. Thank you. I am honored to be with you all. This has been, you know, it's been all right. It's been kind of live. F-A-Q. FAQ NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists and Artists. We're headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and recorded this week from the boroughs of Brooklyn and Manhattan. A special thank you to our guest, Ray McGuire, candidate for New York City mayor, our executive producers, Alex Brooklyn and Adam Kamara, mixed and edited this episode. Be safe, be well, wear a mask, and we'll see you next week. So, uh, Adam, I'm going to stop recording. Who's ABL just showed up. Who's ABL? This is our, our producer. Okay, I didn't just show up. Oh, I, uh, you've been, oh, you've been the one writing in the questions to Harry. I got you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been lurking in the background. Harry, do Silent. I need to get some fur on my mic, man? Just tell me that.
Uh, just if you want, just if you want to look as smooth as me. I mean, oh man, you do look smooth, man. You got that smooth. You got that. You know, you got that that voice, that radio voice. Man, you got yeah. like a hundred. I love this. You guys are all right, man. This is great. 